lesson learned in this regard was I didn't give myself a plan B. There wasn't an option for it not to work in my mind. You know, I, I was going to make this work no matter what. And I didn't have someone else to fund me or pay me anything to carry on. I had to make it happen. Were there a lot of hiccups along the way? Yes, definitely. I don't know if you want to explain those or no, but we can. Yeah, you got to explain them because I don't know them. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I can do that. The one thing that happened is when someone was on a job, a talent would call me and say, hey, I don't have any timesheets. I have to get this signed today. And I said, no worries. I'll send my messenger over. So I would hang up the phone, put on my shoes, and I'd run. <laughs> and I'd <laughs> run with my timesheets. But there were times when I'd look at the mirror and say, Bijan, you are nuts. Like, what have you done? My name is Bijan Durgi. I am the CEO and founder of Artisan Talent, and my age is 57. You look good for 57. I know <laughs> you're 57, man. You look like 37. I try to take care of myself, but yeah, I know. I kind of shock people sometimes. Okay. <laughs> Artisan Talent, we are a company that represents and places freelance and full-time talent, specifically in the digital, creative, and marketing arena. We've been in business since... 1988. This has been your main company since you even got started in entrepreneurship, right? You've been at this for about 31 years, it looks like. 31 years. And location-wise, I started in Chicago, and we have branch offices in different cities, specifically New York City, Indianapolis, Denver, and satellite offices in San Francisco and Los Angeles. Okay. Artesian talent, is that how you say it? Artisan. Artisan. That's what I was making sure. I didn't know if it's a little pronunciation there. Yeah. So you're a staffing agency. Can you just get a little bit more in depth and then tell us about the size of your company? I know you just named some locations there. Yeah. Size of the company, we are 30 employees full-time. In a given year, we're probably placing around 300 people. And it's ranging anywhere from graphic designers, art directors, UI, UX, talent, website designers and developers, copywriters, proofreaders, editors. And then we go into the content. We go to SEO, we have social media people, product managers, digital product managers, proofreaders. So it really is encompassing anything to do with the digital creative and marketing space. And are you the sole owner of the company? Yes, I am the sole owner. And then as far as revenues, do you just calculate that based on what you're placing? Or are you just taking the differential of what you place someone with? And can you just tell us how you actually make money, if you will? Sure. We're probably this year run rate is around 19, close to 20 million. The way we make a profit is that we charge our client and let's say an hourly rate to make it simple, $100 an hour. We will pay the talent 70 and that's our gross margin. And that's how we make our money. And so when you were a child, did you think you'd end up doing this? Definitely not. I had no idea that I'd even be in this type of a business. Definitely, I fell into that. could go through the story later, but no, I really had no idea that I'd be in the staffing world. I don't think there's a school that teaches it. Maybe there are now, but there isn't a formal education for the recruitment world. Yeah. Maybe I should make a staffing agency that prepares future staffers. Yeah, it would be a great market. In staffing agencies, it seems like a lot of them, to me, I've heard of them last 10 or 15 years, but your company's about 32 years old. So it seems like even when you started up, were there a lot of staffing agencies at that point in time? There were definitely normal staffing firms that were placing, let's say, administrative type people. 
and secretaries and maybe labor, like factory workers. At the time when I started Artisan, it was a new concept in terms of, I'm calling them knowledge workers, where you're placing people at a higher level and it's not just the secretarial level. And I was the first in Chicago to start such a company. Okay, why don't we just go ahead and jump right in, if that's all right. I know you went to Syracuse, and it looked like you graduated in 84, so if you want to just kind of take it from there. Yeah, I graduated in 1984 with a degree in retail and marketing, but initially, I guess that's why I'm in the design field. I did go there to get a graphic design degree, but I didn't end up with that degree, so when I did graduate, I really did not know what I wanted to do. I took a year off, now they call it a gap year, and I went to live in Paris for a year. And I did go back to school. I learned French and that was my only responsibility. It was an amazing time. However, at the end of it, I ran out of money and got the great call from my dad, basically saying, you need to go back to the US. You need to get a job. Was that how you're making money? I wasn't. Oh, I know. Through yeah. the parents. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Because <laughs> Paris is not cheap either. It's not like you picked a cheap place like Southeast Asia. It wasn't cheap. But luckily, being a student in Paris, there's a lot of things that the government does pay for but it was still very expensive. So had to come back and get a job. Real quick, what was traveling like back in 85 when you went to Paris? To me, I travel a good amount, but it seems so easy now, like going through Google and everything. I just can't imagine even traveling back then. You had to be used to thinking on your feet, being quick on your feet, getting lost and not worrying about getting lost. There's definitely that language barrier and just have to figure it out on your own, walk a lot, get lost on the subway. And sometimes it's the best way to learn is to make mistakes. I think you learn a lot faster when you make a mistake rather than trying to have perfect it before you start. So your dad said, come back to the US. So what was the plan from there? Come back to the US and look for a job. So I came to, the only place I knew was really to come back to New York City. All my buddies had graduated from Syracuse, so everyone ended up in New York City, and that's where I went, and that's where I got my first job. First job was, I thought that I would be in the fashion industry, and maybe use some of my design ability, <laughs> and I really was got into sales. I got into selling, actually, fabrics to the design houses, and it was old school, here are your samples go knock on the doors, go to building ABC, start at the top floor and work your way down. So it's pretty school of hard knocks, I would say. Yeah. Well, this is pretty amazing. Yesterday I did two interviews and they're going to come out right near yours. It's funny. One guy was in the muffler industry, uh -huh. but he started up in the fashion industry in New York and his dad owned one of these manufacturing things and he got into that. And then the second guy that I interviewed actually started Upwork, which is kind of like staffing, if you will. You know, you can hire virtual assistants from there. Yeah, yeah. You're 57 as well? Yeah. Yeah, I think he was 57 or 53, but he kept saying how old he looked. And I'm like, dude, both y'all look young too. So <laughs> you're the combination of them both today. It's funny how all these stories kind of interconnect that I never thought would. Wow. So yeah, back to your story. I won't dive off anymore. No worries. In New York and just trying to make ends meet. And then I was recruited by one of my clients and my client side was selling dresses. So basically we were in a showroom and I would present the line to buyers that would come in from around the country and see if they would buy the dresses and the, I was helped with selecting the colors and styles. So I got my creative juices, I guess, there. And then my third job was really how I got into this business altogether. I've known early on in my life or in my career, even at that then, that I'm very hireable. I'm just not employable. That makes sense? Yeah, go ahead. Explain that. 
So I've never been fired, but I knew early on that I really couldn't work for anybody else. And I always did a good job, but I always saw that I could do things differently. I saw that I could be a lot more efficient. However, some companies are pretty good with just keeping things the way they are. <laughs> and I didn't want that. So I did apply for another position. And this job, I guess what changed everything was I applied to an ad and it wanted an account executive they're looking for, someone that's good in the person, great on the phone, et cetera, et cetera. And I sent my resume. Actually, I had a picture of myself on the resume. So this is before the digital age. So people could have an, see an image, maybe change things up. So I did that. They called me in. I interviewed. I got the job. So I think that's really smart right there. Because again, when I think marketing one-on-one, it's like just doing something different, right? And yeah. you, you putting a picture on there was smart, especially it must've been harder back then than it is now. The perfect hire can have an impact on your business for years to come. So when you need to find the next person to help you grow your business, LinkedIn Jobs will match the right talent with your open role fast. One of the features that I find most valuable on LinkedIn Jobs is being able to target someone in your geographic area. LinkedIn has over 675 million members worldwide. And LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with the right hard and soft skills you're looking for, so you can hire the right person fast. Things like collaboration, creativity, adaptability. LinkedIn looks beyond the work skills and puts your job posts in front of qualified candidates who match your business requirements perfectly. That's how LinkedIn makes sure your job post is seen by the people you want to hire people with the skills, qualifications, and other interests that will help your business grow. It's no wonder a person is hired every eight seconds with LinkedIn and why companies rated LinkedIn Jobs the number one hiring platform for delivering quality hires. Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com millionaire. Again, that's linkedin.com millionaire to get $50 off your first job post terms and conditions apply. Definitely was. And you had to wait, right? Everything wasn't this instant gratification. So that you'd have to wait and see if you even got a response. So I got a good response and interviewed, got the job. And I really, at that point, wasn't really looking for anything else. And I really thought that this job really merged both of my skills, meaning the business side, the people side, gaining business, but also understanding the creative and the marketing side, because that company did represent creative talent specifically. And they were very new business, definitely a, maybe in their second year. So it was a startup, I would say. You know, I got a decent salary after about six months. This is how I ended up in Chicago. I came to visit a friend of mine in Chicago. I loved the city. I thought it was great. And being poor in New York, it's not the most fun. <laughs> and I was like, well, maybe we could as a company start a branch here in Chicago. And I started going through the phone book at the time. So let's say Google wasn't there, right? So you'd have the Google was the phone book, the yellow pages looking through that to see if there were an agency like the one I was looking for. And then there wasn't one. So I said, well, you know what? Let me just call ad agencies and see if there is such a service. So I would just call, you know, use my cold calling skills, call into a company, see if they needed help, see if they needed freelance talent. And they would tell me, well, we don't know of anybody and I can't really recommend you to anyone. So light bulb went off in my head and I'm like, well, there really is a need here in Chicago. Is there an actual market? College did teach me that you know I did put a business plan together. I did put a, uh, some marketing research on my own, of course, and wanted to see if there was an actual viable demographic that could use such a service. Went through the listing, see if the, how many corporations were listed, how many agencies were in Chicago. 
And then I went back to work in New York, went to my boss and just wanted to get a gauge from her as to what is her vision, what does the future look like for her, et cetera, et cetera. She just basically looked at me and said, hey, Bijan, what did I hire you for? And I said, account management, sales. She's like, exactly. Get on the phone, make more calls. <laughs> so I walked out of the office at that point and I'm like, you know what? I'm not sure if this is the right place for me. So I started doing a little more research and I put an ad in the paper in the Chicago Tribune and just a little listing saying, looking for freelance talent looking for graphic designers, art directors, illustrators, et cetera. And I used my friend's PO box. A week later, he called me and he's like, Bijan, how long are you writing this ad for? I'm like, why, what's the problem? He's like, well, I have two boxes full, let's call it your inbox, but actual paper, boxes of people's resumes. And there's people have come to my door with their portfolio. So I'm like, wow, that's incredible. There's obviously a great need out there. No one's fulfilling this need. So I went to my boss again, and just again, wanted to find out and see what is it she was looking for. And also the Mac, good old Macintosh had just come out and my friends were designers. And I told her that this is really going to change the industry. And with her faith, you know, she basically told me to get on the phone and make more calls. <laughs> At that point, I was probably seven months in with the company. I decided that, you know what, I'd done my research and I felt that my gut was really telling me that I needed to do something. And the main reason for, I would say, starting the company was she was good with her clients, internal employees. She paid us and that was fine. But the way they, that company treated talent, I felt that was really wrong. And they felt that the talent was lucky that they had a job, that they were getting work. And my feeling was, you know, if I were to start something, I would be really the advocate for the talent. I know that I can get the business. Of course, you're going to take care of clients, but I wanted talent to feel that they were part of something bigger and not just a resume being pushed and hoping for a job to come through. So that was kind of the impetus behind me was that I was looking at the bigger cause, bigger purpose for me was to create a company where talent felt that they were listened to and advocated for. Basically what I did with that, my catch 22 was that starting a company, I mean, I guess I was 25 years old when I started a company, so not that much experience and of course no money and that's an issue. <laughs> So I did have a plan. I went to the bank and the bank kind of looked at me and said, well, it's a great plan, but do you have anybody that can co-sign for you? And I said, nope, that's why I'm here. You have the money. And he looked at me, you know, he's like, well, Bijan, good luck. I wish you the best. At that point, I said, well, that's not going to stop me. I have all this talent that I know wants to be represented. I called into the companies that are looking for freelance talent. And of course, then there's the naysayers, right? Everybody is telling me, why would you leave New York? you have a great job, you're doing well, that's too much of a risk, et cetera, et cetera. And when I'm looking back, I said, you know what, I need to take this risk because if I don't take that risk, I'm never going to know. And I'd rather know now than regret it 10 years from now. So I came to Chicago with $1,000 in my pocket and that was it. I didn't have anything else. I did have a friend that I stayed with for about two weeks to, you know, try to get my feet on the ground, figure things out. And then towards the end of that, the second week, he said, hey, Bijan, got some news for you. I'm like, well, what's up? Well, I got a job and I'm moving to London, so I need to find your own place. 
a thousand dollars even today doesn't go that far. So I started looking for a place. I found an apartment that was actually to me it was the address was very important. I always wanted to give the impression that I was definitely bigger than I was, and it was the company, not just me. And in Chicago, kind of like New York as well, you can tell at the time anyway. You could tell if it's a residential address or a business address. But there's these new apartments have been built in an area in Chicago that's much nicer now. But 30 years ago, it was a little sketchy. It was on the edge, but it had a good address. So I signed a lease and signing the lease was a little problem because, well, they give me two months free rent. I had to pay rent on the third month. And then when I came to sign the lease, the leasing agent was, well, would like a copy of your paycheck so that we can verify your employment. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm not employed, <laughs> but I work on commission. So I will definitely give you, I'll pay your rent. She's like, well, I don't know if I can do this. And luckily she's like, okay, Bijan. I'm sure that you will. Just make sure you pay your rent on the third month. That was it. I had a studio apartment. I had a phone and a couch. I guess a phone book at the time. And then I had all those resumes. So you didn't have a new Mac. I had a Mac. Oh, you did. Okay, that's what I'm saying too. Yeah, I remember you talking about that. It's funny that you said it was going to revolutionize things even back then. Yeah, it's so funny how today you're like, oh, you have a phone in your pocket that's more powerful than that thing. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. So the basic computer with me and, and of course the phone. And so I interviewed talent for a good two and a half weeks or so. So that I had a good roster of people that I felt I could represent. Did they come to your apartment or did you meet them outside somewhere? No, they actually came to my apartment. It was a studio apartment. So it actually it looked like an office. It didn't look like my apartment at all. It just had a couch and a desk and a table, you know, to meet people. And it's something about obviously talent in general or creative people. And they're a little bit more open to that. And I was very transparent in terms of what I was trying to do and how I was trying to change the way people were represented in the industry. I know I do say it's a staffing firm, but we're more like an agent, I'd say, than a staffing firm because we are representing talent and we treat that person as talent and they are have a one point of contact. So they have, I won't call them an agent, but we call them talent representatives. And that's how it started. So it was just me, of course, at the beginning, doing it all and making the calls, going out there, letting companies know what we're about. And that $1,000 was running, depleting very quickly. Basically, when I look back, I didn't give myself lesson learned in this regard was I didn't give myself a plan B. There wasn't an option for it not to work in my mind. You know, I, I was going to make this work no matter what. And I didn't have someone else to fund me or pay me anything to carry on. I had to make it happen. And in my third week of it, I got my first client. And that kind of started, it was a slow start my first year. How much did you make even on the first client? I'm just wondering. My first billing was like 200 bucks, maybe. Okay. <laughs> I mean, in the first year of business, I did pay my rent the third month, which was fantastic. I had a lot of rice and beans. Yeah. Do you remember how much the rent was? I think it was $600. Okay. And then when I look at my tax return that year, I made $8,000. And the second year was a little bit more. <laughs> and then by the third year, things started to definitely pick up. I hired. Well, do you mind before you start hiring? Sure. Especially curious to me because it's like 85, 86, 87, we're talking about? 88 now. Oh, yeah. 88 through 90, basically those first two years. Even when you're bringing these people in, you get that first job. Do you still have to like fax stuff? Like I'm not even sure how things work. So I just want to get my mind around how you're able to find, you're calling people on the phone. But yeah, are you faxing the resumes to people? And how do you know what templates to use to have these people sign it? Your talent with the companies that you're placing them with. 
at that time, I mean, it was all paper, basically. So if I were to go, I'd present talent. I'd have their portfolio. I'd show their book. I'd show their portfolio. They would sign a service agreement with me, the client. So it's paper. And then eventually, sure, then it was a fax. So it was the fax machine. So it's faxing resumes over, faxing samples that were just black and white at the time of people's work. So that's how initially it was all faxing. Um, the computers didn't happen for another year or two. We did faxing for a very long time, actually. So did you ever like drive around to these actual companies that were going to pay you? I'm curious too. Yeah, you getting around or are you just stuck in this studio all the time just grinding? It was a mixture of both. I was grinding it for sure. In terms of on the phones, once I made a couple, my goal was to see like anywhere from five to 10 people a week in terms of clients. So I'd set up appointments for myself. We still try to do face-to-face, -face, of course, appointments. So for me, it was really getting to understand the needs of the client. You can't really do it on the phone, especially in the creative field. You have to have a good understanding as to the atmosphere of the design firm or the ad agency or the in-house corporate department, understanding the culture and what kind of person they may be looking for. So there was that aspect of it. And then in terms of running the business, I would even, you know, they're not, like talent have timesheets, right? They have to get their timesheets signed. So when someone was on a job, a talent would call me and say, hey, I don't have any timesheets. I have to get this signed today. And I said, no worries. I'll send my messenger over to the client. So I would hang up the phone, put on my shoes, and I'd run. <laughs> and I'd <laughs> run with my timesheets, and I'd deliver them on the guise of the messenger. And you know, the client would receive within an hour, they would receive their timesheets. Someone was in a bind and needed someone immediately. I could get someone to them within a two-hour time frame. And once the trust was built, they would just say, hey, Bijan, I need someone tomorrow. Get me three production designers. And that's kind of how it started working. Yeah, you're still younger and still had enough drive for it. But still, that seemed like it would be stressful if they call you and need somebody in two hours. It was, yeah, very stressful. And then at the time, you know, obviously now you have African tracking systems, you have Boolean word searches, all those kind of things. But I had everything color coded on a card. It was a card system. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Because in this type of company, I feel like you have to be super organized, right? Yeah. Because I was in sales before. And before I even started using computers, I had like a hot bin and a cold bin and just something to like manually understand it before you start doing technology. And again, you didn't even have not that much technology then. So I, right. I needed to do something similar. Yeah. So was the idea of like, was your revenue going to just keep rolling as long as you keep these people employed? Was that the game plan? Yeah, definitely. The game was, in my mind, again, was just to try to find employment and jobs for talent. Of course, couldn't do it without clients. So yes, I would go out and get the clients and call on all kinds of different types of companies. And I use my skills from the good old New York days, where if I had one appointment in one building, I would just go up. And a lot of times agencies and design firms were in one building. Now things are spread out, but I'd go to the building and literally I would go from the top floor and I work my way down to the bottom. I'd be asked to leave at a few places, but you know what? Eventually I would meet with and talk to people that were open to using my services for freelance talent. So what do you think made you different where you weren't scared to do that? Because I feel like so many people even today, maybe it's more today than it used to be, but I just feel like people are too scared to do stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot more nowadays. There's a lot more restrictions on doing things like that. However, I think it was more the passion and the drive for me was I wanted to make this successful and I didn't have the choice of it not being successful, but also it was for a bigger cause. It wasn't just for me. The money wasn't the driver. The driver for me was building an organization where eventually employees and talent felt that they were part of something and that they were listened to and advocated for. 
Yeah. Were your parents proud of you? Oh, yeah. Up to that point? I would be like, wow, you know, you went from this to Paris to not sure what you're going to do. And then, right. you know, decide to move to Chicago to do your own thing. Even if that was a small check, $200, just getting that first thing done. I, I don't know. I feel like they'd be pretty excited. Oh, yeah. They were very proud of me, definitely. And, and it really, if it wasn't from my dad's encouragement, when I said that I was thinking of doing this, I'm going to go to Chicago. And he goes, you know what, Bijan, this is the time to do it. You should go. It's like jumping in a pool. You don't know how to swim, but you're going to figure it out. You're not going to drown. So was it ever lonely? I'm still focusing on these first couple of years because you're the only guy and you're at least talking to people. That's part of your job, right? To meet people. But I mean, when you're the only guy and it seems like you're just working mainly in this one room all the time, it seems like it might get lonely. No, that's a good point. Yes, definitely got very lonely, even though I'm talking to people at the end of the day, you know, the weekend rolls around and I don't know anybody and I'm still in the same room. <laughs> sleeping on the couch. But there were times when I'd look at the mirror and say, Bijan, you are nuts. Like, what have you done? <laughs> right. The reflection was, you know what? It's okay. You'll make it happen. It will work out. You just have to be persistent. And I'd say I'm very persistent. Once I have a goal in mind, I look at it as a marathon. This is not a sprint. And I will keep going until I can cross that finish line. Not absolutely exhausted, but still have energy left. Was there anything else over these first couple of years before we talk about the next employee or, you know, you starting to expand a little bit here? Anything else that's of significance that might help anyone who's listening and getting started with the company? No, I think we'll go on. If I can add something, I will. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm just thinking like the hardest part. These are some good stories here, even the beginning, but was there a part you wanted to give up in the first couple of years before you started hiring? No, there came a time maybe later, but yeah, at the beginning, it wasn't. To me, I didn't give myself the option to give up. Were the feelings there? Like, why did you do this? And my friends were like, come back to New York, you'll get a job, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I'd say there was one point where I felt things were getting a little tough because when you start a business, there's always the cash flow issue where you start billing and then you're outlaying more cash than it is coming in. And that's the other thing I made even early on, that talent has always been taken advantage of on the creative side where now it's different. But back then, if you designed something and you did a great job, a lot of times the employer or the client wouldn't pay the talent or they would take 60 days to pay. And individuals can't wait that long a lot of times. So I, at that time, I made a promise that I'd pay the talent. Once they had finished their hours that I'd pay within two, two weeks, they would get, even though I didn't get paid, it's a risk, but I would pay them once within a two-week time period. And then there came a time where like, I don't know if I can handle this because money is coming in. <laughs> I mean, I build it, but I haven't been paid. So I did reach out to a friend of mine in New York and he did loan me some money, which I'll never forget. And he helped me in that crucial moment. And I was able to pay him back quickly, quicker than he expected. Okay. Again, that's one of the things maybe you didn't think of, right? That if you're going to guarantee within two weeks and then that cash flow, I think anyone can understand. And you're still have to wait yeah. 70 more days or whatever. That's got to be frustrating too. So. Yeah, it was. Definitely. Well, yeah. So I'll let you pick up again. I think you're about your third year. You said you made that hire. I did. My first full-time like salesperson was in the third year. The second year, I'd say, was actually my brother. He came on and started working with me in the second year or the end of the first year. So he was someone I felt that I could trust and he wasn't doing anything at the time. And it's kind of a role reversal because he was my older brother and now he wanted to work with me. And so I did do that and it worked. Yeah, I was going to say he moved from New York too, to Chicago. No, he worked from New York, sorry, from Washington, D.C. Okay, so he stayed in D.C. though? Nope, he left D.C. And then for almost a year, it was the two of us in a studio apartment. <laughs> wow, okay. Half a couch. 
Yeah, half the couch. So it was just the two of us for maybe eight or nine months. And then enough was coming in where he was doing more on the operations side. I was always more on the sales side. He also did sales as well because we had to bring in more. And then we hired our first sales person and a recruiter. Tell us about that. So it's four people in the studio then? So at that time, no, by the second year, we moved to a little bigger space. So now we're in a one bedroom, <laughs> same apartment complex. <laughs> nice. One extra room though. You get one extra room. Yeah, we had an extra room. <laughs> uh, thank goodness we had an extra room. And so, yeah, they would come during the day and then they would leave and then we would pull out the bed and sleep. And then by the third, we just kept the office in. He and I moved to an apartment and had our own apartment. Nice. Okay. And so, yeah, just take us from here. I'll stop interrupting as much. Sure, not a problem. So I'd say at that point, I guess things started to work. We were starting to get good processes into place, but a lot of it was still quite unorganized. I know you have to be organized, but we were still kind of flying by the seat of our pants. And then we started gaining traction, gaining more clients. And I'd say we had grown a lot. So I'd say by the fifth year, we were maybe eight employees or so and got listed on the Inc. 500 as one of the fastest growing companies. We're like number 147 at the time. So that gave us some good exposure, some good recognition. Well, yeah, that seems pretty damn good. I mean, with fifth year, you're already Inc. 500 or Inc. 5000? Inc. 500. Wow. Okay. So yes. How much did you get to at that point when you're in the Inc. 500, like as far as employees and everything? We had eight employees. It was our growth, I guess. You know, we started very little and then by the fifth year, maybe we're out 3 million. Wow. And then of course we have a lot of freelancers that are out there and there are, there are employees. So that's a lot of people that we're juggling and placing. And then the year after that, I was featured on the cover of the Inc. magazine. The title was, how do you bootstrap a company and take it to the next level? So that was that article. Yeah, we started really growing exponentially from that point forward. Were there a lot of hiccups along the way? Yes, definitely. I don't know if you want to explain those or no, but we can. Yeah, you got to explain them because I don't know them. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can do that. The one thing that happened is as my brother was in the business, we were at that point partners. He had a percentage of the company. And then I started expanding. I wanted to expand the business and expanded to Los Angeles. I went out there for six months to get the ball rolling. He stayed in Chicago. He and I were kind of going back and forth between LA and New York. Long story short, there was this back then, I'd say in the 90s now, mid 90s, there was this whole Illinois Department of Labor and, and California as well. We're honing in on companies that were W-2ing, and it's still an issue today, I would say. We were 1099-ing everybody because at the time they were all independent contractors and freelancers. However, the government changed, the Illinois Department of Labor changed its outlook on, well, if you have control over these people and you're providing them with all these hours, they should be W-2, and you need to be the one that takes the burden on taxes and everything else. So we got levied something like $500,000 of back taxes oh. that they felt that we owed. <laughs> that probably didn't feel good when you found that out, huh? Didn't feel good. That would have definitely shut us down. We would have been out of business very quickly. And the same for Los Angeles. So you ran from the IRS? It wasn't the IRS. It was Illinois Department of Labor. So it's just state taxes? It wasn't federal? It was the state employment tax and federal, I guess it could have gone down that path. Luckily, it did not. However, we're still getting these fines and they went back three years. You know how they do that. Yeah. 
And at this point, I'm like, you know what? I got to protect this company that I created. So I started another business, another company, put it in my name, and the other company became a separate entity. So it took about like two years or so of legal battle and a lot of money. Not too much, but at the end of the day, we proved that we didn't misclassify anyone, that these people were independent contractors. However, going forward, for anybody, we will W-2 anyone that works on site. And at the end, they agreed and we didn't end up owing any money at all because we weren't doing anything wrong. They just kind of thought that we would be the guinea pigs. Yeah, but you had to be pissed. Yeah. I could definitely see exactly what you're saying too. You're like, okay, going forward, if that's how we're going to do it starting next year, okay, but how can you do this Like, when we're purposely not doing it? It was unbelievable. Those were very many, a lot of sleepless nights. <laughs> oh, yeah. When taxes do that, that's something you don't think in their wildest dreams, right? Maybe you think an employee's stealing from you or something like that. But right. the last thing you're thinking is, like, oh, the government might reclassify everybody. And then I'm going to pay a lot of money on this. And they go back three years. Yeah. And they fine you, like compound the interest. So you're smart enough. You're saying you made basically identical company and put everyone underneath that company. Can you just walk us through that? Because that seemed like a smart idea, whatever you're doing there. Definitely. When you need an attorney, get a good one. That was the advice. I couldn't really create another company that was identical, like in terms of shares, because my brother and I owned that first one. So we created a separate entity and anything that was billing in Chicago came out of this business, came out of the new entity. And then the other business took care of all the Los Angeles billing and we separated them so that hopefully when they would come, they wouldn't take us both down. Maybe they'll take one company down and not the other. That was the idea behind it. But luckily, we didn't have to go that way. But we did change, to your point, we did change the format in terms of W2ing all our business and all our people. And that's the way it is today. Most freelancers are W2'd. I'd say 90% are, but there's still some 1099s that they are truly independent contractors. You just have to be careful how you classify them, especially with our clients. We alleviate that burden if they work with us. They don't have to worry because we are the employer of record. Well, that is interesting. So it's really just to separate the states, not necessarily, I don't know if there's any other reasoning behind it, but I guess, yeah, in case Chicago took down, you only had the Chicago branch that was taking down, you saw it LA. Yeah, LA was the same thing, actually. They did the same thing. They wanted everyone to be W-2s. And since we're relatively new in LA, we didn't have as much billing, but we did end up paying, I think at LA was about $70,000. So they did screw you there, but it, did. it just happened to be not three years back. Yeah, exactly. They did it for a year. And it's interesting, right? You know, you have Illinois and you have California. We're exactly in the same business. I'm doing the exact same thing. Illinois did side with our argument and California didn't. Well, yeah, again, for anyone to think about, like you're saying, main thing is get a good lawyer, but yeah, see if you could easily split it up and make sure the risk wasn't as high. If they could go back all the way to when you started employing people in Illinois. Yeah. <laughs> so what year was that? Your mid 90s? The mid-90s, yeah. If my memory serves me right, it was the mid-90s. Okay, sounds like you're 33, 34. It seems everything's been pretty successful, though. This was your first major hiccup? Yeah, that was the biggest one because prior to that, when things are growing and going well, everything is exciting. And then this came out of nowhere and it definitely put a spike in the road, a blocker for it was a good two years. We continued to do business as usual, but you know, again, W2ing everybody going forward so that they couldn't say, well, you didn't change your business. And we did. So yeah, that was one of the biggest hurdles that we had tried to get over. So where'd you go from there? Then it was a pretty good ride until the whole, I would say, dot-com arena 
when things are going well, I think that's where I learned how to really run a business, I would say. We had taken it to about $13 million in sales. And then in about 18 months, I think it was, or just under two years, it was back down to $3 million. You can't cut enough expenses. You can't cut fast enough, as it were. And what happened was, obviously, I cut where I could. I had to lay some people off. That wasn't a great experience at all. And I had to narrow it down to survival mode, meaning that it was back to just me, recruiter, my accounting CFO, and an office administrator. And that's when I had to get back in the saddle again. Started all over. I noticed you didn't mention your brother. So did he leave at this point too? Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. That was, say, 90... Yeah, right around that time, just after the audit, all of that. And then business was at that point pretty good for both of us. And he and I decided that I had a different vision as to where I wanted the company to go. And that does happen with partnerships at times, especially if you're not communicating, I'd say, well at the beginning. We had some assumptions on each side. And at the end, we partnerships don't always work out. So that it did not work out. We decided to go separate ways, meaning that he would take the Los Angeles company and I would take Chicago. Then at that point, I had started New York office as well. Well, real quick, what's interesting to me is that you said he took the Los Angeles office, but weren't you the one who wanted to open that originally or did you yes. want to originally? No. Okay. <laughs> I did. I was the one who started the business. Then I did go to Los Angeles to start the company there. He was doing Chicago. And at the time, you know, it's hard to be in two places at once. And then personally, I had met a woman from Chicago. And long story short. Did you find her by staffing her? No. Okay. <laughs> I, just sure. I figured that's how you might meet her. No, I didn't. I met her. Actually, she was living in the building that we had the office in. That's how I met her. Long story short, that's how we had very different ideas as to where we wanted the company to go and the direction it was heading. Yeah, what was his ideas versus your ideas? His ideas, I think at the time, were more continuing the business, but getting into other areas, meaning doing more project work, which is more assignments, taking on a project, let's say doing an annual report or doing a logo design, or maybe websites were just beginning. And my model was really sticking with what the intention of just being that staffing firm and just working with staffing only and not really getting into many projects. And so that was a big difference of our vision. Right. Because I mean, I don't want to rehash like too much negative stuff about this, but this had to be hard because the people already talk about partnerships, but he's your brother too. So I mean, yeah. even though y'all separated, was it like bad or was it still okay? Because at least you did have these two branches, you know, where to easily devise it. But yeah, just walk us through that if you don't mind. It was very difficult. It wasn't easy at all. It was very tense, especially, I mean, a much better communicator now, but back then we just weren't good at presenting our side. It was more and then when an attorney gets involved, unfortunately, that's when fireworks start. <laughs> Looking back, it just wasn't a good thing. Maybe at the end, it would be good to bring one, but not at the beginning of a conversation. Let's put it that way. And this took about a year or two to finalize. Yeah, did we have a good relationship through it? No, it wasn't great. I'd say that today we're brothers again. It was very difficult and we didn't talk to each other for a while. And my intention for me was, you know what, to me, money, it's not a money thing at the end of the day. It's more about relationships, of course, family, you know, and then you have Christmas and all those things and everyone's uncomfortable. Is Jamie coming or not? You know, that type of thing. <laughs> that wasn't fun. But at the end, I made the effort, flew out there and said, Jamie, we need to talk. Let's just figure this out. Give me your side of the story. I'll give you mine and let's move on from there. And that's what we did. And so how long did it take before things were normal again, I guess, as far as brotherly relationship? 
Yeah, I'd say it, not too long. You know, at the end, we're brothers and that's more important than anything. So I would say it didn't take that much longer, maybe a couple months or whatever, but it just it got back to normal. That's nothing. I thought it might take like a couple of years or... No, it wasn't that long. No, maybe six months, if I remember, I'd say that. And then we helped each other in terms of definitely made it where, you know, if clients, if we have a client that wanted talent out in LA, we would refer them and they would refer clients back to us. So, you know, that continues to this day. Well, yeah, it sounds like at least having that division at least somewhat helped. But yeah, thank you for sharing that. I know it's not fun to really talk about that, but yeah, <laughs> it's okay. If you're able to patch stuff up a couple of months afterwards, and you even talked to me before kind of the interview that one of your biggest skills is like empathy and yeah. You being the bigger person, no matter what, even if you don't think you did something wrong, just going out there and taking care of that or else it's just going to get worse over time. You yeah. Know? yeah. Like what, nothing's going to happen if you don't be proactive and do something about it. You're right. It does get worse. And the longer you wait, the heavier the weight is, you know, if that makes sense. <laughs> no, definitely. So yeah, let's jump back to 2000 when you basically restarted your company. Yeah, it was a restart. I mean, we had some sales coming in, but definitely not enough to support the staff. So that was where I had to let people go. And then I did not take a salary. I just basically got on the phone and made more calls. <laughs> I learned something from my first employer, right? That's what she said. Get on the phone and make more calls. You don't have an option. That's what I did. I just got back on the horn and started making the rounds, started calling, started getting things going. I got some clients to come back. And then immediately once the billing started moving, shifting a little higher, I hired another salesperson. And so were you in a studio apartment again, or did you decide not to downgrade that much? No, 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 no. The office definitely down. I mean, we stayed in the same space, but we let like half of it go. I just couldn't afford the whole space. So I got out of my big office, as it were. I had a big office. And I'm like, you know what? I don't need this office. There's no need for me to be in such a big office. So I went to one of the, you know, those cubicle. offices that are, yeah, they're not cubicles, but <laughs> yeah, no. they're offices, <laughs> still a single office, but my office, you could fit like four people in there. So I put more people in as I hired more recruiters. They all went in there and I kept my expenses lower. I didn't have to have such a big space. So how long did it take a year to get things back on track? Yeah, it took about a year or so. That's pretty quick again, man. Yeah. Let me see. I'll look at my, I think I have some, I'm doing it off the top of my head, you know? So right. no, it took about two years. I got things going and then I hired another salesperson and then it started moving back up again. But yeah, that's still surprising because you said you went from 13 million to 3 million. And then you think like two years after that, you're about up to 13 again. No, it took a while. Let's see. Yeah. 13. It took to get back up to that 13 million. Actually, no, it took almost six years. Right. But that's revenue. Maybe your profit wasn't as high then. I mean, I don't know if you're looking at your profit too or whatever, but it seems like you're better at keeping your overhead this time lower. I'd say I really learned how to run a business when things were not doing well. And you know, when things are going well, you start spending money where you don't really need to. And Money covers up a lot of things, I'd say. You don't know the truth because you're just saying, oh, well, it's okay. I'll pay for that. I'll do this. Everything will be okay. It's okay to be an optimist, but you have to be a realist as well. So I guess we're in early 2000s. Do you want to continue the story? Yeah. So early 2000s, so as it was, you know, in terms of sales were plummeting and they did plummet to, like we mentioned, around back to the 3 million mark. And then just from 2000 onwards, it started, you know, to grow again, started ramping up pretty quickly in 2003 to four to five. We just started, we took a little dip in 06 and we did pretty well up until around 2008 or nine. 
And then it did catch up to us, you know, numbers started come down a little bit, but then at 2008, so in a recessionary times, our business is actually pretty good in a recession because we're working with freelancers and companies don't necessarily want to hire people full time. So it is good for us in times like today, there's a talent shortage. So we do have quite a few jobs that we actually can't find talent for. I'd rather have this pain than the other pain Then there's no jobs to fill. Do you remember when you started your small business? It was no small feat. It took a lot of late nights, early mornings, and the occasional all-nighter. Bottom line, you've been insanely busy ever since. So why not make things a little bit easier? Well, our friends at FreshBooks have the solution. FreshBooks invoicing and accounting software is designed specifically for small business owners. It's simple, intuitive, and keeps you more organized than a dusty shoebox filled with crumbled receipts. Create and send professional looking invoices in 30 seconds, and then get them paid two times faster with automated online payments. File expenses even quicker and keep them perfectly organized for tax time. And the best part, FreshBooks grows alongside your business. So you'll always have the tools you need when you need them without ever having to learn the ins and outs of accounting. So join the 24 million people who've used FreshBooks Try it free for 30 days. No catch and no credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com forward slash MI and enter millionaire interviews and the how did you hear about us section to get started. That's freshbooks.com forward slash MI. And for more information about FreshBooks, you can go check out episode 141 where I interviewed the founder, Mike McDermott. When it comes to running your business, having a system for time tracking, work monitoring, and payments is vital. If you have a small company, you know it was rare when someone actually submitted their timesheet when they were actually supposed to. And when they did, there wasn't a way of knowing if it was accurate, which as a business owner is a nightmare for your invoicing, payroll, and basically your pocketbook. But all of that doesn't have to be a massive headache. It actually can be pretty enjoyable and take less than 10 minutes with Hubstaff. Hubstaff makes invoicing super easy. Since your team's already tracked their billable time, all you have to do is export the invoice and send it to your clients. The beauty of Hubstaff is that it's not designed for just one type of business, which is probably why they have over 34,000 companies using their application. So to help your business get started with Hubstaff, use promo code YOLO, that's Y-O-L-O, and you'll get 60 days free when you sign up for a plan. And for more information on how Hubstaff actually got started, go check out episode 164, where I've interviewed the founder, Dave Navote. Yeah, you'd rather have the opposite of yeah. people who are going to pay if they're still looking and you can't find the talent versus the opposite, too much talent and no one. Exactly. <laughs> so over the last 10 years or so, it seems like we've gone pretty quick through your story, especially you having a, a business that's old. What else has occurred or anything significant that would be worth willing to share with the audience? In terms of lessons learned, the only time where I really started growing was definitely on the second time round was really hiring good people, was hiring people that are, I would say, smarter than me and better than me in particular areas and having that ability to let go. As an entrepreneur, sometimes I would say I was too controlling and I definitely have now understand that it's best not to be and that it's best to really have that ability to trust people. And when you hire the right people, it's amazing what you can accomplish. And my goal was to, of course, be able to create a company where I'm also not in the day-to-day, -day, which I'm not in the day-to-day -day of the office anymore. 
And how do you get there? I mean, I definitely surrounded myself. I have good mentors. I was in a group, Vistage, which is a um, CEO type of group that you meet with peers once a month. The other group I belong to now also is EO, which is the Entrepreneur Organization. It's a great organization for entrepreneurs, specifically that to get in, you do have to be having gross revenues of about a $1 million. The idea there is to help you build a company and scale it so that you are billing a million and up. It was great to have that group. I still do. We meet monthly. We bring issues to the table, be it uh, personal or business. That has helped me become a much better decision maker. Right. You know, I agree because I'm part of some masterminds too. Even if you're not goal setting in these masterminds, it's a place you can just vent and just like hear other people's ideas. And it's just nice to know, even though you're in a staffing agency and I talked about kind of loneliness in the beginning when you're starting your company, even throughout the whole company, especially if you're the sole owner now, it's like, I still imagine you can feel lonely even today because you're on top and you're a bad boss if you're going to go vent and tell someone underneath you like the bad things happening in business. But you can do those types of things in a group right? Like-minded entrepreneurs or business owners, because they get it. Yeah. Yeah. So I can definitely speak to what you're saying there. Yeah, absolutely. That's been, I would say, a life change savior for me to have that group that I can actually really trust and be transparent. And like you said, it's lonely at the top. You know, it just is. There's no one you can really divulge all the things that you want to talk about. When you are with a group such as that, it really helps that you can vet. And the good thing about it is they're there to listen. They're there to help. And, you know, they don't have an agenda. They're not like a board of directors where they're getting paid and they will hold you accountable and tell you things that you don't want to hear. And those are the things that I need because I can be a pretty bad procrastinator. And the idea too is that like they're non-biased so they can tell you. And even if like, let's say you're still with your brother and y'all are co-owners and you're having to fight still like today, you could vent to them about like what situations or what suggestions do y'all have to work this out? Because if you're having an issue with a partner and you own a business, you can't go to that partner and to, exactly. like vent to them. So, but if you can go to other people who have had business owners or something and you can give advice, right? So if someone is in your Vistage group or whatever, you're like, hey, this is how I worked it out. So being part of those groups, and that's what I'm trying to do with the podcast is have these mastermind groups where people can just have, feel not as lonely and then hopefully get these other things like goal settings and keeping you accountable as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, those are all great business things. But at the end, like you're mentioning, it's the personal side too that has an effect. You have to be personally in a good space so that you can run a business. It's not easy to try to just compartmentalize everything and just put it on the side and pretend it doesn't happen. I mean, that you can do that for a while, but it will take a toll on you. <laughs> For me also, when I look back as to what kept me sane or I would always push myself to learn something new, be it something physical or mental. Examples of that would be I've been practicing Kung Fu or Wing Chun for 30 years. He's my same teacher. And that's kind of a haven for me to go to where I can just be in the moment, right? If you're sparring with someone, you really don't have time to think about what's going on, but what's happening at that moment. So it kind of centers me quite a bit. So was building a business worth it? Yeah, definitely. Definitely worth the risks, definitely worth the trials, the pain. It's going to be a roller coaster. You know, you just want to make sure the highs are uh, end up being much more than the lows. And it's also now given me the freedom. I guess that's the other point from being an entrepreneur is that I wanted a business that could also afford me a good lifestyle. And it is now. For the past, I don't know how many years now, maybe eight or so, I take three months off or more and I travel and visit the world and enjoy the other aspects of it. It does give me opportunity to come back with new ideas. It's really about the people that I have that allow me to do that. And those are great employees. 
Well, thank you for coming on and sharing your story. If someone wanted to reach out and say thank you for doing the interview, what's the best way for them to reach you? Email is most likely the best. That's Bijan, B as in boy, E-J-A-N at artisantalent.com. Well, thank you for joining us, Bijan. Thanks, Austin. appreciate your time. Cool. So like I'll end it there, but actually I might do this on the outro. Give you a couple more questions. Is that all right? Yeah. Yeah. So what are some of your favorite uh, travel places you've been to? Wow. Depends on what you, you know, like to do. The Far East, I really enjoy that. I just recently went to Zanzibar and, and you know, Tanzania. That was incredible. Is Tanzania safe? Yeah, it is. It really is. And people speak English. I mean, there's no like not much of a language barrier. One of the things, like I said, I like to push myself and learn something new. I'm, I'm doing kite surfing. I'm pretty good. I don't know if you do it or not, but I have the point where I can actually get up and go downwind and a little bit upwind, but I fall a lot. It's taking, that's one of the most difficult, challenging things I've learned how to do. <laughs> well, that's pretty cool that you're able to take off that. So I try to travel and it's funny when you say you come back and have new ideas. That's when I come back and have new ideas because you get out of the routine stuff, you know? Right, right. Eventually, I think I'd like to have a lifestyle like yours and hopefully <laughs> have a successful company where I can do that because that's kind of my ultimate goal. Yeah. As well, you know, to like work hard and then travel as well. So yeah, I guess if anyone's oh, cool. wondering, yeah, Tanzania, I'm seeing East Africa and then, uh, what is Zanzibar right there too? Yeah. Those are all, yeah. All great places, you know, South, of course, you know, South America. I don't know how much traveling you've done. Yeah. I haven't been to South America. I've gone to Europe a decent amount and Southeast Asia on my honeymoon. Yeah. Um, but usually I try to take a week or two a year just to reset my mind. Yeah, you reset. Brazil is a fantastic, is really cool place. And you're on the same time zone too, you know? it's uh, Where in Brazil did you like? Rio is, is a lot of fun. It's a great place. You know, you want to be uh, cognizant, of course. You know, Brazil is, I don't know if what you've heard, but I think it's a great place. You just have to, don't be a dumb tourist. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm usually big enough too that they don't mess around. Oh, with okay. Me. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good advantage. <laughs> it is. That's why I tell my wife, I'm like, people who get pickpocketed and stuff, I'm like, you're lucky with me. They just don't try because I'm big enough that I don't. Yeah, that, that's good. <laughs> but that's a great place. Where you... I like Brazil because they like their podcasts. I don't know if you know that. No, I didn't. It's a hidden okay. gym. They love business podcasts down there. They're growing. Really? Like cra- yeah, they're growing like crazy for some reason down there. So yeah. So in terms of your business, like what is your business? What do you do? It's this full time now. It's a podcasting. So I've been doing this wow. for two, yeah, I've been doing this for two years. I just went over a two year mark. Yeah. So most of it's through sponsorship, but I'm trying to build up basically like a membership where I'm doing these masterminds too and trying to help people connect with each other. Cause again, like podcasting is like, you're just kind of passive listening, you know, but then I feel like there's still so many other lonely people where maybe they don't qualify for entrepreneurs organization or, or Vistage, like you said, because Vistage, I know you have to even have more money or whatever. Yeah. I think there. it's 5 million or something. Yeah. yeah. So my idea is like just trying to connect them, have more of a community. I know that's kind of a long-term play and making money from it. But the reason I started doing the whole podcasting thing was, I don't know if I'm retelling what we did on the pre-interview. It's just, I've been listening to podcasts for 10 plus years, and I just really wanted to get stories of different people other than who were just tech-centric. And I think a lot of people feedback that I get, love the variety and your story is just one of them. So yeah, you know, I knew it'd take a while to make this thing successful, but I finally started meeting my expenses last year. And now I'm finally starting to hopefully make money as it keeps rolling on. But great, it's so funny that you talk about that paying your people two weeks afterwards and not getting paid till 90 days afterwards. Same shit's happened with you, like with podcast advertising. So now finally some of that money is like, some of it's even like four months almost in it's behind. unbelievable. Yeah, it really is. Cause that's why I, I keep telling my wife, I'm like, look at my bank account trying to like forecast and whatever. I'm just like, yeah, 
I'm like, okay, full finally, you know, but it's just like, dude, something happened four months ago. What happens if that company goes out of business? Cause I have an agency basically that helps me with it, you know? And yeah. it's just like, no, that's what happens. It's kind of it's frustrating. Uh, it's very frustrating. And that's almost unfortunately become the norm if you're dealing with larger companies. Oh yes, definitely. Yeah. So it's like large advertising agencies. And it's like, there's so many things that kind of mimic what you're saying in your story and kind of feeling that. But yeah, I finally met that that money's finally coming in. That was three or four months ago. So now I'm finally seeing a wave of like, okay, we're finally making money. That's good. Doing it. And let me ask you a question. Are you pretty good with calling people or and not only calling, but sending the reminders, et cetera, et cetera, to pay their bills. I have a basically a broker that does it all. And so okay. they take care of it. So I try to sell like four ad spots now. Like I was originally just two, but I made them interviews like longer and longer. Mm -hmm. And so I can fit in, I'll put like two back to like one and one behind it and like in two different spots. And usually they're like a minute. So it's not okay. that much. It's like total of like, let's just say four minutes to six minutes of ad spots to like an hour and 15 minutes of interview. So it's very small compared to radio and other podcasts. Yeah. Cause I know other podcasts just flood it with so much. I'm like, okay, just take it easy. But it gets frustrating. Sometimes they won't bring me enough people. So well, don't give up. <laughs> you got to have resilience, man. That's what that persistence is, is key. Yeah. And then I think the main thing that I've learned from these people is like, how long did it take you to actually get things going? And these other people that I've interviewed is just like, you know, it takes years, you know, Austin, you're sorry. Like I'm, I just finished year two. I knew it was going to take time to get to this point. And year two is good. Your, your marker. I mean, my markers were year three and then year five and then 10. Yeah. I'm definitely going to get reinvigorated here. Cause like I went through, like I got burned out for a little, probably the last couple of months. I mean, I've still yeah. been working, but now I'm like kind of getting reinvigorated again that oh good <laughs> because I'm finding these other ways of making money instead of just getting waiting for these people and in the long run this it'll all work out but I always try to keep a perspective of yeah yeah it's all right Austin just because everyone wants something instant now doesn't mean mm -hmm. it's crazy that, that's, that's the way it's gonna work that's you guys that's your age group <laughs> <laughs> not me I'm 34 so oh, okay I'm, okay I'm, you're just, I'm not, I'm you're not right after got yeah. it <laughs> cool. Well, yeah. So like, I'll be in touch when this comes out. Yeah. Well, I hope it was something helpful and, you know, maybe there's some nuggets in for there for people. I don't know. No, no, for sure. Like I said, okay. I, I would tell you if it wasn't. So don't worry. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, you have a good right, one. Awesome. Thank you. Take care. See you. Bye. Now.